0: Welcome to the Personal Injury Marketing Minute, where we quickly cover the hot topics in the legal marketing world. I'm your host, Lindsay Busfield. In the personal injury world, the majority of your cases will be settled out of court, but there are some of those complex cases that will require mediation or court proceedings. In those cases, you have already invested long hours and countless resources to build the best case possible, hoping that there will be a big payoff at the end. Part of building that case might include the involvement of an expert witness. If it does, you want to make sure that you are leveraging that asset to its full potential. We are going to talk about how to do just that. Gary Kilpatrick is an expert witness who has extensive experience with automotive accident reconstruction. He has a degree in engineering paired with a lifetime of knowledge of industrial mechanics. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's good to be here
0: well tell us briefly why you decided to become an expert witness
1: well back about 2000 2001 um i read an ad in the local in our local newspaper where uh, uh university of north at charlotte uncc was hosting a uh, presentation on the introduction to forensic engineering and so i signed up it was i was curious so i signed up and it was a an eight-hour presentation uh, Dr. Young, who is a, a civil engineer, uh, may or may not be there anymore, but he's got a PhD in uh, civil engineering and is, is a licensed professional engineer. And his presentation was mainly to the civil world, but I could see how it would be uh, applicable to other areas. And so, so at the end of the, uh, he gave us a book, and I still got that book today. At the end of the book, there are a couple of pages of references, one of which had different uh, professional societies that we could go to for more information. One of which was the National the National Academy of Forensic Engineers, and so I contacted them and I spoke to the founder of that organization, Marvin Spector, and we talked for a bit. and He encouraged me to join and become at that time a correspondent. and They were the really the mentors uh, behind uh, how I got really more involved in this in this prof- uh, profession.
0: What types of accidents are you routinely providing expert witness services for?
1: Well, um, being a mechanical design engineer, it kind of it uh, allows me to work in different areas. One is going to be motor vehicle crash recon because, as engineers and the engineering dynamics and all the coursework we take, uh, that goes front and center right down the list of everything that they talk about, and um, you know, they get into. Uh, the conservation of laws of linear momentum, uh, 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 work dealing with things sliding across the surface, kinetic energy, and so forth and so on. And all those concepts are used to calculate the impact speeds of two vehicles coming together. I'm also heavily involved in industrial accidents because I've got, I've got 20 years plus of experience working in industry, uh, one of which where I worked for Clark Equipment, who invented the forklift and the front end loader, and they were a major t- competitor to Caterpillar back during that day. And so uh, I'm heavily involved in industrial accidents, dealing with OSHA regulation, machine guarding, forklift accidents, crane accidents, and um, amusement park ride accidents because they are machines. And um, let's see if I missed anything. Uh, mobile elevating work platforms like scissor lifts the little genie lifts you see and so i have I have licenses to operate all these machines that you know the the area work platforms forklifts and so forth and I'm also set up as a trainer where I can actually train people and give them their licenses and so uh that's essentially what I do you know that those are the those are the the big hitters the areas where I work
0: Well, and you can see a thread, a common thread of how those are all tied together with the engineering and the um, automation behind it, or the, you know, the automotive components that Mm -hmm. all go into that. You know, there's a universality where you can have a deep um, breadth of experience and understanding for how those things work um, because you have a long um, career in working with those types of machines. And so that feeds into your own personal knowledge base Um, and Clearly, attorneys, um, especially in the personal injury field, or you would think in workers' comp, would be calling you up uh, because those types of accidents are happening all day, every day across Mm -hmm. the nation. So, you know, any type of personal injury attorney might come into a case where either something isn't so straightforward that it's, um, you know, quickly settled and it might go into, um, into court. Um, so when at that point you would think that a, an attorney would call you up and want to work with you. And when working with a personal injury attorney on a car or motorcycle or, um, you know, ride at the state fair, what is the typical process of your relationship with them?
1: Well, the first thing is I get a phone call <laughs> and we will, He will kind of lay out essentially what happened in the case. He will identify whether or not he's working for the plaintiff or defendant and lay out the, you know, everything that he knows about the case, or at least everything he will tell me about the case. And based on that information, um, I may or may, may not be able to help him. If I can, then, you know, and what I do is when I talk to these lawyers, I will be honest with them and tell them up front. I think you have a good case, right? Based on what you're telling me, I think you will to walk away from it. But that—that's up to him. He may decide to go get another expert that may say something different, you know. So that's up to him. Um, so if he decides to retain me, then I send him a contract agreement to sign, and uh, then he will send me. I'm, I require him to um, send me back a copy of that signed agreement along with a retainer check, and that retainer check exercises the terms of the contract agreement and puts everything in motion then at that point in time depending on whether or not a, a a lawsuit has been filed or not if a lawsuit hasn't been filed and he wants me to um do some inspections do some research to try to give him an idea of what he should do next whether whether it be to drop the case or whatever uh or or take the case then um uh, so um, after that, then uh, if the if there's a lawsuit that's filed, then he's going to send me the pleadings, which are the complaint and the answer, uh, interrogatories, requests for production of documents, reports, training employee re- re- training documents. Uh, if OSHA, if it's an industrial accident and OSHA was involved, then there's there may be a citation packet that they've created, which that's what we call an OSHA report, but OSHA calls it a citation packet. And uh, they send me uh, pretty much everything that's discoverable that he has. And then I read through it. If it's gonna be, uh, whether or not it's a motor vehicle crash or some sort of industrial accident at some point in time, once I read through all this documentation, then I'm gonna wanna go see for myself what's going on. And I will do an inspection of a forklift, a crane, a piece of industrial process equipment or go out to the scene of a crash and thoroughly documented. If the evidence is there, uh, if if it is a motor vehicle crash, for say, and, the, and there's a lot of detailed evidence there that I can use, then uh, I can actually make speed calculations in my office based on what I what I've gathered to create this accident scene situation map. And then I can, once I've done all that stuff, along with whatever else is going on. Then he may ask me to write a report, and I'll write that and submit it. At some point in time, if this thing does not settle quickly, opposing counsel will want to take my deposition, mm-hmm. and at that I'll testify in deposition. If it in, or he'll, they will depose many other people, fact witnesses, other experts, and so forth. And so if if the case if the lawyers cannot come to an agreement and mediate this thing, then we will go to trial. And I'll testify for my client as an expert uh, uh, under oath in front of a jury and a judge and then after that I've done my job and it depends on how the jury rules on it and uh, that's pretty much kind of how that works.
0: Well it sounds like the most important part that an attorney can be a part of in terms of preparing you for for success is that evidence piece. So in looking at the evidence What all do you need in order to piece together an accident timeline or the positioning? Uh, What pieces are you looking at in order to make your determinations?
1: Well, if it's a motor vehicle crash reconstruction, I've got to have a copy of the police accident report to see what they've alleged. Uh, If the accident took place very quickly, um, well, let me say this. When a motor vehicle crash takes place, the evidence field will start to deteriorate right then. Depending, you know, wind, rain, uh, fire trucks, ambulance, wreckers rolling through this area trying to clear it, and some of that air, some of that evidence is going to be damaged or taken away. So my job is to get out there and see what I can find. If I if all the if all the the tire impressions, skid marks, uh, gouges. Uh, and scrape marks and so forth are on the asphalt and on the property, along with anything else that the vehicles hit, their uncontrolled rest position and so forth. Then I can document that on an accident scene situation map and hopefully have enough information to be able to uh, recreate the accident on paper and track the motions of the centers of mass of those cars as they come together and leave. And if I can get that, if I can get to that level of detail, then I can very easily calculate the impact speeds of those cars. If I don't have any of that stuff, and uh, the police took a few pictures, they didn't. They didn't do anything to memorialize the more, memorialize the evidence. Uh, there's nothing really I can do because I have got to have that evidence in order to be able to run these calculations. If it's say an industrial accident then I will want to, like, say, a forklift accident or an, an accident dealing with a crane or a piece of industrial process equipment. I want to go see this thing and see what it looks like. And hopefully uh, it is in the same condition that it was at the time of the accident and it's not been modified. If it's been modified or put back into service, that's what we call spoliation of evidence. And, the you know, the the other party can be sanctioned for it, you know, for for destroying that evidence and so um evidence is key and that's what we as engineers have to go by we can't pull things out of the air we can't do anything but go by what the evidence shows us
0: right you really have to have something tangible that you can look at and make a calculation it's not just speculation or you know mm-hmm. generic opinion but it really needs to be supported by by facts and right. as as you're talking about, the evidence disappearing, I mean, it's second by second that it starts to go away from the minute that you're moving the car to the side of the road, mm-hmm. things are starting to deteriorate. Sure. So it, it sounds like it would be really challenging to have kind of like a perfect crash scene in order to reconstruct. But at the very, very bare minimum for an attorney to hire you on and for you to do some calculations, what are some bare minimum requirements that they should have in terms of evidence?
1: um well i've got to have a copy of the complaint if if a suit's been filed i want to see what their allegations are uh if they have a police let's say if it's a motor vehicle crash i've got to have a copy of that police crash report and any photos or videos that were taken at the scene um that's going to be a good start um if it's uh if it's an industrial accident then more likely than not it's going to be uh Uh, Written reports of employees, personal statements, uh, supervisory statements on an accident report, photos, videos, security videos, and stuff like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And, of course, you know, that's definitely one challenge that you're facing as an expert witness to make sure that you have the documentation required and the facts required to make your calculations. But I know that there are other challenges that you run into um, while working with attorneys from other states. Not every state um, is as uh, amenable to having expert witnesses. Um, so can you tell us a, a little bit about the challenges that you run into while working with attorneys uh, from other states?
1: Uh, it's across the board. It's actually pretty similar. Um, depending on the, depending on the, uh, state <coughs> in which these accidents take place when it comes to Personal injury, wrongful death is what the is what the legal community calls tort law. Tort is a short word for meaning torturous or in, injurious. And um, there are two basic laws in which states operate when it comes to tort liability, one of which is called comparative negligence. And what they do is they weigh out a 4951 split if the plaintiff was guilty of some Issue dealing with an accident that caused his injury, then he may not be able to get the full amount allotted by the court, but he can get some. Whereas, um, on the other case, uh, so there's just a handful of states in this country that subscribe to what's known as pure contributory negligence with a 0% rule, the 1% rule, the 10% rule. And what that does is that casts a magnifying glass over the plaintiff. If the plaintiff is in, say, in North Carolina, where I am right now, this is a pure contrib state with a 1% rule. If the plaintiff is guilty of any infraction, no matter how slight he is, barred from any recovery, the case will never go to trial. But they can, the lawyers can mediate it. They can do some things for the plaintiff. Um, and, you know, and sometimes there have been some big settlements, but, but they can't take it to court. It's all mediated or arbitrated.
0: That's interesting, and, and those are all good things to keep in mind as you, as an expert witness, are working with lawyers um, nationwide. Yeah. Clearly, um,
1: yeah. one, of, one other thing I wanted to point out is is licensure. Uh, I'm a licensed professional engineer, uh, and that's necessary for me to provide engineering services on my own as a as a company. And um, um, every state has their own regulations. As a matter of fact, I got a call today. Uh, from a a lawyer in Alabama. And Alabama is one of these pure contrib states. And I told the lawyer that um, before I can enter your state and inspect your piece of machinery, I've got to call the engineering board that Alabama uh, Board of Professional Engineers and see what they say about that. I really don't want to be licensed in Alabama because it's one more license to carry in a state that more likely than not like North Carolina is not going to uh, give me much business. This is I've been in business for over twenty years, and this is the only case, this is the only call I've ever got out of the state of Alabama. Wow. And so, and so because of the pure contrib, the tort liability, the tort laws they have. And so, um, so uh, I called uh, the Alabama Board of PEs, and they told me if you cross that state line, now you got to be a licensed PE. So I, I told the attorney that and it's going to if he wants me to do this, then he's going to pay my licensing fees along with it's going to take about four to six weeks to go through this process to get licensed. And after that, you know, he may not have a case. I really don't know. And it's going to be for nothing, you know, uh, on my part anyway. So uh, I would prefer I'm just not going to deal with Alabama because I never get called anyway. Right. But some other states are different. Some states, and say the state of Texas, as I understand it, and I've called Texas before, doing this type of work in Texas, they don't really consider it to be engineering. So you can actually come into Texas, more likely than not, and do this type of work and not have to be licensed. But in other states, like North Carolina and some of these other states, you do. In any state that I go in that's a comparative negligent state, I will always get licensed and carry it because other people are going to be calling me later on. You
0: yeah, know. you would think that some of the larger comparative negligence states like California, you would be able to work with a lot of attorneys out there um, who who would need that kind of service.
1: Well, the problem is when you go coast to coast, more like I've been called by one lawyer in, in California, and the reason is because it's so far away. Mm. You know, if I get on a plane and have to fly round trip, it's going to be probably an eight-hour day probably more than that you know i charge from the time i leave my office i've got to go to the airport i've got to go through security which is going to be it's going to take me at least an hour uh, to, uh, to drive from my office to my local airport and then go through security and i'll have less than an hour before i get to my gate and then after that then i pick up a flight that's going to have some layovers and it's going to be in the afternoon, way late in the afternoon, before I get to California, like LAX, and um, and so um, that's billable hours. I cut my billing and uh, hours, uh, my billable hours in half because I'm just flying around doing nothing. At least it saves the company, the the, the law firm, some money. But um, um, it, the problem is when you go across the country like that, uh, you have that. That aspect of transportation costs. And sometimes that's gonna be a deal breaker because they can there's plenty of people out there on that part of the country that can do the same thing I do. You know, they're not, not gonna call somebody like me. As soon as I say, Oh, I'm from North Carolina, it's gonna be click, you know. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, definitely would help drive down the cost quite a bit to to work a little bit more locally, yeah. but it is nice that you can lend your expertise nationwide. So what tips do you have for how an attorney can best prepare an expert witness uh, for success in the courtroom?
1: Uh, I need to have all the documentation that's arguably rev- relevant and discoverable. Um, uh, I have had attorneys before that would deliberately withhold documents from me that would be prejudicial to their case and they did not want me to see it. If I write a report or give an give a, uh, expert testimony not having seen that then it um the attorney is some way manipulating my opinion because i have not seen all the evidence and that's called hamstringing your expert and i would prefer not to do that because it could really put me into a bad situation and my opinions could be struck and i could actually ruin my career so um the attorney needs to be up front up up you know f- forthright and up front with me and give him all give me all the documentation that he's got everything that he's listed and his uh, request for production of documents i want to see uh, sometimes it may not be that relevant like medical reports and so forth i'm not a doctor so i could care less about that i would like to see what the injuries were but outside of his treatments i'm i don't really need to see stuff like that because some of these some of these medical reports are hundreds of pages long and i really don't have a need to to read through all that stuff. But I need to see everything, uh, uh, anything, the, the pleadings, I wanna f- see what um, you know, what his allegations are, uh, both comp- uh, complaint and defendant, uh, com- the, pla- the complaint and the answer. I need to see everything in, involved with the interrogatories, all the questions they ask each other, the request for production of documents, OSHA reports, any kind of report, training documents, anything that he has And he may not have some documents that I could suggest to him to ask for and I could get those too. So he needs to give me everything he or she needs to give me everything that they've got so that it will help me give them a more informed opinion and it helps protect myself from being impeached and have my opinion struck because I don't I, I never got all the information.
0: Well, that is incredibly helpful as our listeners prepare to work with an expert witness. Um, how can they get in touch with you if they have some more questions?
1: Um, well, I have a website. Is the three W's dot the Kilpatrick group, P-A dot com. All spelled out. Uh, I have a website. It's, I mean, excuse me, uh, email address is Kilpatrick G1 at NorthState.net. And the one is the numeral one. And of course, my office phone is 336-841-6354.
0: Great. Well, we'll be sure to include all of that information so that our listeners can reach out to you with additional questions. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gary.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It's good. I'm glad to do it.